Open your Bibles to uh, Psalm 103, verse 7. Psalm 103, verse 7. Now, this is a verse I, I, I really like, and I want to read it. Um, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. And I, and I like that verse for the simple reason is I, I, I like to know God's ways. I, I really want to know God's ways. And if you go back in the book of Exodus at the Mount Sinai, you can really see how God revealed his ways to Moses. But it talks about he revealed his acts to the people of Israel. And the implication of that is through what he did, through his miracles, that's what they saw. But I want to see God through the revelation of his word. That's how I want to see God. And I tell you, it really blessed me to, to, to sit with God just quietly and some things that he shares with me. And I say that for the simple reason, as you heard this morning, I spent a lot of time in church and I heard a lot of things in church, a lot of sermons. And the pastor would get to a particular point of talking about something, and you know what I would say? I heard that before, and I just turn him off. And I would begin to solve problems in church. Quadratic equation and stuff in church. Sunday after Sunday. And I'm serious when I say that. And out of that, I realized, guess what? Most people in church did the same thing that I did. So in teaching and preaching, what I have tried to do is to captivate your attention in just a different aspect that you might say, I better listen, he might say something I haven't heard before. So that's how I tried to kind of preach and teach with just a different spin, nothing revelational, it's just sitting with God and asking him to show me his word clearly. And many times I'll sit there and I want to be translated back into that culture time. And I can do that a lot and sometimes I just can't get there. And when I'm able to do that, it's just amazing what I see. Because it's as though that I'm there listening to God talk to Moses or whomever at that time. That's the mindset that I'm trying to get in. And when I get into that mindset, it, it, it's, it's almost scary sometimes for me. And I'm saying that to say this. I want to show you something this afternoon. And I know you came here thinking that I'm going to say something about the parable that I had in the bulletin. But I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about something altogether different that was really on my heart Friday driving into work. And I just couldn't get it off my mind. And I had just thrown a lot of things together in regards to the parable of the sower. And all the thing I had to do was just take some and organize it. And it was about eight pages. And then I said, no, I just can't get this off my mind. 
So I want you to open your Bible to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to look at not, I'm going to look at verses I'm not really going to expound upon all those verses for the sake of time, but I'm going to start at verse 8. And I'm going to show you what the Lord showed me in these verses. So kind of bear with me. So let's pray. Our Father, we bow before you in your sovereignty and in your goodness as we read your word. And Lord, we ask that you would enlighten our hearts to the truth. Not only that we would understand the passage and the doctrine that it teaches, but that we would be worn off by the Holy Spirit of our own sin. Father God, we pray that we would learn these lessons experientially and personally in such a way, Lord, that we would believe the truth that you have taught us in your word. Lord, we pray as well that you would be glorified in us as we obediently receive the truth of the word of God in our hearts and lives. Father God, help us as we pray, illuminate our minds, even as we study these things by the Holy Spirit, for we ask in no other name but Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God. And all God people say amen. amen. Okay? Now, as I said, I'm going to start at verse 8. Now, I'm going to tell you something about temptation. Temptation follows a pattern with us that it did with Eve in the Garden of Eden. Always there is first the arousing of desire, then the mind seizing upon the desire, rationalizing it to make it seem reasonable, proper, and profitable. Then the will acts and immediately confusion, guilt, blame, and a sense of limitation follows without fail. The process is absolutely relentless. It repeats itself over and over again. And for many years I looked at the Bible from a man point of view and that's what I was wanting to read that Psalm 103. I have looked at the Bible from man point of view but now I seek the spirit of the living God that I may obtain God point of view. What I have learned from Adam is that this is the same way God will treat us in the many times we fall into temptation. God begins his dealing with man with three questions, which will occupy us this afternoon. Only three questions. And one of the questions has two parts. So let's dive into the first question. And the first question can be found in verses 8 and 9. And please read along with me because I want you to really see this. Verse 89, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? Now notice in those verses, it is God seeking after man and not the other way around. No man seeks God. In fact about it, they are hiding from God. So let me bring something to your attention. The first question here in the Old Testament is matched by the first question in the New Testament. Here it is. God asked a man, where are you? 
God asking man, where are you? And God is asking man, where are you on earth in the garden? Now you got to think about that now. Okay? Now, now watch this right here. And in the New Testament, in Matthew, just turn over that right quick. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. And we're going to go back to Genesis, so keep, stay there. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. And, and while you're looking at that, I'm just going to repeat something. Let me bring something to your attention. The first question here in the Old Testament is matched by the first question asked in the New Testament. And here it is, God asking man in the Old Testament, where are you? And in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, listen to these words. The first question that appears is that of a certain wise man who come asking, where is he? Now, who is that they asking for? Who? Say it out a little louder. Jesus. So in the garden, who is asking that question? Which is, God has manifested himself on earth through who? No, no. God has manifested himself on earth through his son, Jesus Christ. So in the Garden of Eden, God, who is that asking that question? Jesus. Christophany. It's a theophany. God has not stepped on earth himself. His son has only done that. You gotta see that. The first question in the Old Testament, where are you, asked by God, is none other than his son asking that question in the Garden of Eden. And the first question in the New Testament is people's coming looking for Jesus Christ, asking where is he? You, you, you see what I'm saying? <laughs> Lord Jesus, I'm gonna tell you. I, I, Lord, help me this afternoon. I, I sit too much. And, and I'm going to Just follow me. Just follow me. I'm not going to teach you anything wrong because you know what, guys? This is important. You could have $10,000 and say, Morris Stringfield is the best financial planner in the whole world. Go to him and tell him that you want to invest this money. And I tell you to invest it in this and you lose all $10,000. Can you get some more money? Can you get some more money? Yes, you can. But if I stand here and teach you wrong, can you get another life? This is serious business, guys. I, I don't play when I step in here or step in that classroom over there. I don't play. I want you to really understand that. Follow me here. Follow me. Please follow me. Now, we know from reading the Bible that this took place on earth, which implies God habitually appeared to Adam in some visible form. Whenever God appeared visible in some manifestation, it is always the second person of the Trinity. A visible manifestation of God before the incarnation. Thus, the one here who asked of Adam and Eve, where are you? Is the same one of whom later men would ask, where is he who was born the king of the Jews? Same person. Now notice the importance of this question. Where are you? He didn't ask Adam, what did you do? 
He asked Adam, where are you? And this is where I'm trying to take you because many people misinterpret this and think of something else. They think, and you can think this if you want to, that doesn't bother me because when he said, where are you? Adam could tell him everything that he done did this, he done did this, he done did this, but God is asking him, where are you? Now watch this right here. When a man is lost, this is the most important question he can ask. Where am I? Suppose someone called the church phone this very moment and asked, if this is Haven Baptist Church, what would you say? Yes, it is Haven Baptist Church. Suppose they go on and say, the person on the line say, i like to come right now and thought I knew the way, but I find myself confused based upon the instruction that Jared gave me. Now, Jared gave this person the instruction. They are looking at the instruction, and they are confused of the instruction. Now, you answer that phone now, right? Now, what is the first question that you are going to ask them? Oh, Lord Jesus. Say it again. Where are you? What did God ask Adam? Where are you? And that person that called you on the phone implied that they are what? L-O-L-O. They are lost. They are lost. They are lost. Adam, where are you? Lord, I'm lost. I'm lost. I'm lost, Lord. I'm lost. Where are you, Morris? Oh, I'll tell you this morning. Lost. Lost. That's always the first question. Where are you? And then they say, I'm at 72 and Jeff Road. And then you say, oh, I know where that's at. And then you were given instruction to here. That was the first question now. Now, the fact of the matter is, when God says in verse 9, Adam, where are you? God, we know, is omniscient. He knows where Adam is at. He's not asking for information. He knew everything. God knows everything. What he was really wanting from Adam was for Adam to step forward and give an account that I'm lost. I'm lost. Lord, I'm lost. Now God phoned Adam and he called to the man and said to him, which means he phoned him. He knew exactly where Adam was. He confronted him face to face and he says, where are you? In a matter of saying, so where are you now? Where are you now? <laughs> now that you have sinned, now that you have eaten of the tree, now that you have this knowledge, where are you now? That knowledge caused Adam to become lost. That's what happened to him. And the enemy wanted him to think that he was going to become like God. He lost 
but he doesn't know that he's lost. Now, it's so important to make note that in the question of where are you, God is not trying to get them to acknowledge their sin. He is trying to get them to say they are lost and not where I supposed to be. Lord, I'm lost and I'm not where I'm supposed to be because I'm supposed to be with who? God in what? Fellowship. But I'm highly. I'm not where I'm supposed to be, God, because I can't find my way back and I'm lost. So the Lord goes and seeks for him. Say a little louder, Mike. Seek and save the lost. That's what Jesus said in the first day of his public ministry. Now see, now, now, now look here. See, talk, bring on talk. Mike said that. Who's in the Garden of Eden right now? You see what he just said? Jesus Christ is in the Garden seeking. So that's the only thing I'm hoping because that might have been a little confusion and sometimes I don't ask questions correctly and, and I was kind of hoping that you guys come down and say it was Jesus in the garden. But now you can see it is God sent his son down to earth to seek and to save the lost. So in the garden of Eden, when God spoke to Adam, it was a manifestation of God through his son, Jesus Christ. See, talk, bring on talk. And he helped me to see that a little clearly and to bring it back because I don't want to confuse you. It's Christ who is coming to earth to do that. God is not. God came up with a plan. And Christ said, you know what, uh, Father? I love you so much. I will go down here and I will execute that plan for you. Oh, you will? Yes, I will. And he came down and he executed it. Boy, I tell you. <laughs> now, look at this right here. That's that first question. Where are you, Adam? And he never told God where he was at. But I'm showing you what happened to Adam after they ate that stuff. They became lost. They became lost. Now here's the second question. Look at verse 10 and 11 with me. Now the second question is, is more, more significant. The second question is very, very significant. Verse 10 and 11. And he, Adam said, I heard, now he is responding to God now. God asked a question. It's clear of what has happened. Now here go here. And he, Adam said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He, God said, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you was naked? Now think about this here. Who's in the garden? A manifestation of Jesus Christ, Adam and Eve. And the serpent is gone. He's gone. Now God say, who told you that man? Who told you that Adam? Did someone come in and tell you that? Did Jared come in and tell you that? Did Larry come and tell you that Adam? Did Dennis come and tell you that Adam? Who told you that? I want to know. This is God talking to him. Watch this right here. Watch this right here. Now, God is not asking this question, who told you that you was naked, in the sense of what person has come 
And to inform you of this, no, this is a rhetorical question. It doesn't require an answer. Only thing God wants Adam to do is to think about this. Who told you you were naked? Adam, don't answer me. Think about it. Think about it, Adam. I don't want you to answer me. I just want you to think about it. Watch this right here. You say you were naked? You didn't know that before, Adam. How do you know this now, Adam? From what source has this knowledge come? He ate from the tree of knowledge which is good and evil. Remember that. Something has happened. A change has occurred. Where did your knowledge come from, Adam? The answer, of course, is no one told Adam. Well then, how did he know? Something within him told him this. It did not come from without at all. It came from within. A change had occurred within him and instinctively he sensed that change and knows something that he did not know before. So God created us with a what? Start with a C. Oh Lord God, listen to that. A conscience. Who told you Adam that you was naked? Lord, my conscience told me that I was naked. You see what's going on here? You see this conversation between God and Adam and how it's flowing here? He had been naked all the time. But now you see the conscience is what? That knowledge is evil. So they think that nakedness is evilness. But it's not the nakedness he disobeyed in the past. You know, broken fellowship. And evil knowledge has come to man just as God said it would. The tree of which he partook was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And by taking, man gained immediately evil knowledge. From where did it come? From within. This is what God want Adam to see. That this came from within. And what does Jesus say about what's in a man? It's not what's outside of man that makes him evil, but it's what? See? Now, who told you that? And faith said conscious, and that's exactly what it is. So we see the question asked, where are you, Adam? He's lost. Who told you he was naked? God created man with a conscience. But he is not even answering these questions. <laughs> That's the thing. But watch this right here. Now God moves to the third question. And the third question can be found in Genesis 3, 11 through 13. Stay, stay with me right here now. Now notice this right here. Now, this third question has two parts. Now here's the question here. Where are you, Adam? Some people think that God wants him to profess up sin. And 
You can say that if you want to. That doesn't really bother me at all. But I hope that you really see how I'm walking through this, that sin is coming now because notice how the question is from. He said, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Now he's asking him, what did you do? Now he has a chance to explain it. And he has a chance to confess that he did something wrong. And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Now keep that in mind. And I ate. That's what Adam said. The woman you gave me, gave me this fruit, and I ate. Now watch this right here. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I ate. Both of them said exactly the same thing. Here is Adam blaming God and the woman, and the woman blaming Satan. Now you notice they're not taking any responsibility, no account for what has happened at all. And you notice each time God keep asking what? Question. He keep asking questions. Because he's trying to drive them to what? Start with aura. He's trying to drive them to repentance. The question. That's what I'm saying, the pattern. He's trying to drive them to repent. Watch this right here. Now look here. God asked both Adam and Eve the same question. But he asked the question in a different form. He asked Adam directly and blunt. Did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat? That's what he asked Adam. And then he asked the woman, you tell me what it is that you did. <laughs> and that's how we ask questions as guys, don't we? We go to our wife and say, why did you do this? We ask it directly. But God is saying to the woman, he's asking the question with grace. You notice the pastor? He's not asking her, Eve, did you eat of the tree I said not to eat of? See, he's not talking to her that way. He is, he is talking to her with what? Grace. He's talking to this woman with grace. And he said, notice he said, what is this that you have done? It's the same question, just ask differently, isn't it? Same question asked differently. <laughs> but I tell you. To the man he is forthright and blunt. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? But to the woman he put the question more softly and gently. What is it that you have done? E, tell me what it is that you have done. So I have to give God credit. <laughs> he know how to ask questions that I don't know how to ask them. <laughs> because I'm real blunt when I ask questions. 
And I'm probably going to be blunt tomorrow when I ask questions, you know, in the home. But, you know, we are what we are. So he say, Eve, tell me in your own words what it is that you have done. And their answer, as I said earlier, is very, very significant. Now, that was a blame game that took place with both of them, but in the end, they both said what? And I ate. So now, God asked the question, and now they are agreeing with God what it is they have done. The same question, as I said, is stated differently, but God wants both of them to reach the same conclusion, which we see that they did. He told them not to eat of it, and they did, and God wanted them to say it, and that would be their confession. That is what the Bible called, and Mike Johnson just said, a repentance. That's what the Bible called repentance. And they said, and I'm adding to what they said, they said, and I ate. They said, yes, Lord, I sinned, and I ate. That's what they said. But you know, and I'm kind of getting off track, but I just got to say this. It's really interesting that when God took them out of the garden, they never gave an excuse to come back and say, God, uh, you know, uh, they just walked away and went on about their business. And I thought that was really interesting. They didn't even try to go back and try to say, Lord, you know, I, I, I was wrong and I know I shouldn't have done what I did, but I did it. They just left and went on about their business as he put them out the garden. And that, that always has interest me too. But that's just another sermon. Yeah, I'm just saying this. They, they, no, no, I wasn't saying that, that in that capacity. You're right. He did put them up there. And those are what? The cherubim, what? Burning angels, what they call them? But when he said, get out, it, it seemed as though they would say, wait, Lord. Uh, <laughs> he didn't even try to say nothing. Uh, you know, I just threw that out there. Uh, I thought that was kind of interesting that they just went on by their little business, you know. But, but anyway, uh, so notice in this account that as soon as Adam and Eve say, and I ate, there was no more questions. Once they said that, God stopped asking them questions. No more questions. Thank you. So someone had mentioned, you know, grace. So you can really see God showing grace right there. Because initially it said if you eat of this tree, you will surely what? You will die. But I said this sometime back, when we say you will die, you thinking it would happen right then. But God's ways are not like our ways. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. So when you look up there in the Greek, it says it a little different. But they did die spiritually because that's why they was hiding. No more fellowship, as Mike said. No more fellowship with God. They died spiritually. But when we say die, we're thinking of dying physically. But they did die. Okay? You know, so in closing, I kind of hope that you saw this in a little kind of different way 
And that's how I try to teach and preach, hoping that I can captivate your attention because it's so easy to say, oh, Genesis 3, 1 through 8, I didn't hear that a hundred times. And you tune out the pastor. But you really can't do that. And I know people are so traditional that they do things the kind of same way. But I try to be as non-traditional, as non-conventional as I possibly can when it comes to the Bible. Because I say this in close. The most interesting person ever walked this earth was none other than Jesus Christ. Amen. And I say this. And here's another one. I will pretend. I say, okay, they there in Galilee, they're going to go to sleep tonight. And I'm going to go to sleep with these guys. And I'm laying up there, and Peter, James, and John, and all these guys, they're talking. And I'm listening to their conversation. This is how I pretend. And this is what I come up with. And then I say, Peter might say, John, I wonder what he's going to do tomorrow. I mean, he fed, he fed 5,000 people today. I wonder what, what he's going to do tomorrow. I don't know, but I tell you what, I still want to see it. And this is how I pretend when I'm reading the Bible, I'm sitting right there with them guys listening. So, we ought to be coming to church and say, I don't know what Mars is going to do. Last Sunday, he hid and read the Bible. It should be interesting, I'm saying. That's the only thing that I'm saying. Jesus was an interesting person. I have gone through the Bible and I got all of Jesus' methods of teaching. It's about nine of them. And I try to use one every Sunday that I'm teaching. The guys don't know it. Because I want to teach like Jesus. I don't want to teach like Michael. I don't want to teach like the pastor. I want to teach like Jesus Christ, man. I'm serious when I say that. That's who I want to teach like. Because they say, what, put on the mind of who? That's who I want to teach like. I want to be so unpredictable. Until... Lord, help me. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God. Lord, help us to see our own sin. And then, Lord, to rely on you for your grace and for your redemption. Lord, we pray that your spirit bear witness with our spirit that we have heard not only what impacts our lives from what we have heard from both service this morning, Lord. But Lord, I pray that we are able to take this out through the week, Lord, and just meditate on reflect upon it. And as we learn to repent of our self-dependency and to cling, Lord, consciously and helplessly to thy continual flow of grace, and Lord, strengthen us from our from our daily activities, may we be refreshed by your loving spirit and your loving hand. And Lord, we have asked these things in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. And all God people say, Amen.